I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to today's edition of the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton Show podcast. Welcome back in. Hour number two, Clay Travis, Buck Sexton Show. I am Clay Travis. He is Buck Sexton, and we are rolling through... What has already been an eventful start to the program, Kyle Rittenhouse has taken the stand in the Kenosha, Wisconsin case where he's been accused of killing two protesters, shooting another one. Blockbuster, unexpected development for Rittenhouse to be on the stand. He has been doing phenomenally well so far. They have just broken for lunch. But I want to play for you, and I know many people out there have been watching This testimony have been paying attention to this case. I want to play for you a collection of people calling Kyle Rittenhouse a terrorist before he was ever able to have any defense at all. Listen to this media montage. Cut 19. Why do any reporting when the media has already decided Kyle Rittenhouse is a terrorist. Kenosha shooter Kyle Rittenhouse, he murdered two people, by the way. Rittenhouse is basically what you would have had in a school shooter. He's a 17-year-old kid. He shouldn't have had a gun. He crossed state lines to supposedly protect property. No, he was going out to shoot people. Kyle Rittenhouse, the 17-year-old vigilante. Kyle Rittenhouse, the vigilante. Kyle Rittenhouse, the armed teenage vigilante. A 17-year-old vigilante, arguably a domestic terrorist, picked up a rifle, drove to a different state to shoot people. Kyle Rittenhouse, a guy who's deeply racist, went with weapons to a Black Lives Matter protest, looking to get in trouble. He did. He murdered a couple of people. Rittenhouse, uh, the 17-year-old kid, just running around, shooting and killing protesters. Slander. He should sue them. He should sue them. I mean, it's outrageous, the stuff that they said. It's so hard as a public figure to ever win a case. When and that's this is a big picture story, Buck. I have argued New York Times v. Sullivan, which basically ingrained the public figure mantra uh, in the 1960s in the Supreme Court and made it almost impossible to sue anyone in the media who says anything about a public figure unless you can show actual malice. 
He's not a private figure because he'd been charged with a crime. This is honestly one of the really interesting distinctions about the Covington Catholic case. If you remember on the steps of of the Lincoln Memorial, Uh, a lot of people out there obviously remember what happened with uh, with that kid whose name is escaping me right now. Sandman, Nicholas Sandman, if I'm right about that. Um, He was arguably a private figure because he's a kid who just happened to be standing on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial when he became a flashpoint and everybody went after him and tried to accuse him of all this wrongdoing. But what what that is emblematic of is they didn't call him a terrorist, basically. Uh, they they call they him did. a murderer. They call him a terrorist. They call him yes. a, like a school shooter. I mean, they're saying yeah. things that he's not charged with that is not in the fact in the, in the facts of the case in any way, shape or form. And so what I would ask you to do, and this is what we try to do on this show. What I would ask you to do is compare what all those people said about Kyle Rittenhouse with the testimony that you are seeing from Kyle Rittenhouse today and with the actual facts that are at issue in the case. And things are going so well for Kyle Rittenhouse. I think you're you're right, Buck. I think one reason he wanted to get on the witness stand is he doesn't want to be not guilty. He wants to be innocent. And that's rare in a criminal case for someone to say, not only uh, did am I not guilty of this crime, but I'm, I, you know, I'm innocent of any wrongdoing at all. There are other countries that have actually in their legal standard not guilty and also innocent. I mean, that that is a thing that has existed in, in other does exist this, in, in other places. He's, he's and, not trying to get off on beyond a reasonable doubt. Yes, right? he's, he's not. not this isn't this isn't this. it looks bad for me, but on technicalities, I'm going to get away. This isn't uh, an OJ situation where it's because of historical injustice. I should get, you know, get let free as a, as a clear double murderer. This is a kid who's saying, I defended myself, I did nothing wrong, look into my eyes, America, look at the truth, look at the facts here. And it's it's remarkable how much hatred you yes. saw in the media for this guy. Even right now upon, while he's on the witness stand, Buck. Uh, yeah, based upon the fact pattern that was known from the very beginning, they had video, Clay. This wasn't just like an eyewitness thing. They had video of people attacking him. What what is he supposed to do? He's supposed to get hit in the face with a skateboard. He's supposed to wait till someone who has a loaded handgun waving at his face pulls the trigger. This was always crazy, but it was because BLM. There was a narrative here. The narrative was get out of the way. The left is rising in America in an election year, by the way, an election year that saw us have businesses boarding up in preparation for a possible Biden loss. This was the rage of Biden voters on the streets of large and small American cities, and no one allowed to get in the way. You know, it almost turned into something like this. Remember with the, um, I believe it was the McCloskeys in in St. Louis, where that mob came across their lawn, they had the guns. And remember, the prosecutor there charged them for essentially brandishing or pointing their weapons at a mob that was trespassing on their property. At what point do we realize that some of the people in charge here are so ideologically invested in taking the side of the mob that they would sacrifice someone like Kyle Rittenhouse just to make a point. Don't ever stand in the way of our arsonists and rioters. They have social justice on their side. Not only that, we had a caller yesterday who pointed out, or maybe it was a couple of days ago, the absolute abandonment of responsibility in Wisconsin. They didn't want police on the streets. They didn't want people to actually try to enforce the law. The idea was, let's let the rioters just tire themselves out by destroying businesses, by burning down buildings, by looting and pillaging in massive numbers. And so 
What's gone so bad for the prosecutor here, Buck, is that it appears, I think, whenever this goes to a jury, that the jury is likely to be very favorably disposed toward Kyle Rittenhouse, that he's going for innocent, not guilty, in terms of the media analysis going forward. Oh, this was not a kid who got off for a crime he deserved to be punished for because of a technicality. This is a kid who didn't commit a crime at all. And the the, the prosecutor increasingly is just throwing up Hail Marys, which are driving the judge bonkers. Let's listen here uh, to the judge going after the prosecutor as uh, the prosecutor uh, basically basically insinuates that Kyle Rittenhouse hasn't spoken and somehow not speaking until now is a major uh, flaw in uh, in his uh, defense. Listen to this. Why would you think that that made it okay for you without any advance notice to bring this matter before the jury? You are already, you were, I, I was astonished when you began your examination by commenting on the defendant's post-arrest silence. That's basic law. It's been basic law in this country for 40 years, 50 years. I have no idea why you would do something like that. And it gives, um, uh, well, I'll, I'll leave it at that. He was starting to say it gives the uh, it gives the defense grounds to call for a mistrial, which is why the defense has since come back, Buck, and said we're going to m- make a uh, potential uh, filing for a mistrial with prejudice, which would mean the reason why this mistrial has to be tossed out because they think they're going to win. We want this tossed out, and you can never bring these charges again because your conduct was so egregious in violating the law, and you were doing it because your Hail Mary plea is, we've lost this case, let's try to get a mistrial. You can't intentionally try to get a mistrial to avoid a loss that you were going to take. One part of this, Clay, that I think also sits in the background that everyone should be aware of as we see this is that because, and you, you heard one of the left-wing commentators said Kyle Rittenhouse is a racist, yes. which was an interesting, I mean, based on what exactly? Right. Uh, most of, uh, you, know, you see a lot of the rioters in Kenosha, at least in the footage, a lot of them, I mean, I don't know what the exact numbers are, are uh, they're white leftists. Yes. A lot of the people that are rioting were, were, are, are white leftists who were there. All of the people that Kyle shot were white, as I understand it, unless I'm missing, I believe all three, in all three cases, if you had a different angle with that respect, people would be concerned about more riots if Rittenhouse was found not guilty because he, the people that that attacked him and that he defended himself against. Again, that's my opinion. The trial's playing out now. But because uh, the situation is that he shot three guys, there's no racial angle to the shootings. It, it's less likely that I think there would be a you know nationwide you know, outrage from the left about this at the same level. So that is one factor, I think, here that's at least if there is a not guilty verdict, it's less likely that we'll see people saying the system is so racist and there'll be more buildings and businesses burning as a result of it. And that also, to me, means the jury is more likely to rule on the facts. That's really the key here. The jury doesn't feel like, oh, my gosh, we'll be branded racist forever if we don't put Kyle away. And maybe they'll burn down another neighborhood if we don't put Kyle away. So I think that's strongly in his favor. I think that's 100% right, because the subtext of the Derek Chauvin trial was, for both jurors and anyone else who was following this case, if Derek Chauvin isn't found guilty, 
Minneapolis is going to burn, and many other cities are going to burn as well. That's the subtext. And that, by the way, is what was allowed to happen in an entire summer of riots, which is why the idea of this January 6th obsession in the Democratic Party after an entire summer where they allowed cities to burn, where lawlessness ran rampant, suddenly they're going to put a lot of people who walked into the Capitol with selfie sticks in solitary confinement and in prison for years over what are relatively minor, in the grand scheme of things, trespassing violations, certainly within the context of the summer of riots we saw, nothing approaching the level of violence that ran rampant through so many of our city streets this summer. So I think all of that ties in in many ways. And the fact that Kyle Rittenhouse has taken the stand and has done so far such a compelling job of providing his own defense has got the prosecutors, it appears, throwing all sorts of crazy directional questions at him. They, by the way, are right now on a lunch break, if you're wondering what's going on right now. And the judge is just fed up. If you can see, you can hear him, but if you could see his body language, he is done with the prosecutors completely. And this is what I said, you know, from a directed verdict perspective, Buck, and I'm not an expert on Wisconsin criminal law, so I won't pretend to be, but when you have witnesses on the witness stand saying that you were pointing a weapon at somebody, it's almost not a question of fact anymore for a jury. The judge decides questions of law. A jury decides questions of fact. If someone says, I pointed a gun at you, and you saw me point a gun at you, and you decided to fire at them, that is the very definition of self-defense. Arguably, that's not even a fact-based determination for a jury. A judge could look at that and say, there's no dispute about the facts in this case. By law, that's self-defense. There would, there's still the two other shootings, obviously, but yeah, in that, yes, in that one right. case, that, that could have been where the judge went, and I, I think I don't want to get ahead of ourselves here. You never know what a jury's going to do, but it has been a strong showing, to be sure, for Kyle Rittenhouse so far. More than 30% of Americans suffer from chronic pain every day. It happens with the effects of everyday living or too much exercise, any number of circumstances. There are people within the sound of our voices that woke up with serious pain today. Less of them, thankfully, though, because of Relief Factor. Created by doctors and perfected over 15 years of scientific research, Relief Factor was made for you. With four key ingredients... Relief Factor is a 100% drug-free product, which addresses joint pain, knee, hip, back, neck, and shoulder pain. Hundreds of thousands of people have ordered Relief Factor, and about 70% of them go on to order more. If you're currently in pain, you have a 7 in 10 chance of eliminating it. Wouldn't you want to take those odds? Clay, your wife, my dad, folks are getting great results. Jack Armstrong, he's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. 
Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's Reality Podcast. This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture. And a little bit of Rappaport's reality, the reality of us. We're figuring out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, it it would have been been juicy. The podcast would have taken a, a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny. The warmth of Fredo and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carvin and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back in. Clay Travis, Buck Sexton Show, all rolling along here on the Wednesday edition of the program. We are joined now by Johns Hopkins' Dr. Marty McCary, he has written a great piece in the Wall Street Journals in the print edition yesterday, answering and ana- analyzing a question that many of our listeners have about vaccinating children. Uh, Dr. McCary, appreciate you joining us right now. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but in your article, I believe the data said there are 28 million children ages 5 to 11. 94 of them have died with COVID, which is such an infinitesimally small percentage that the COVID vaccine doesn't really change any of the risk factors in any way because, fortunately, the risk factor is so minuscule for children. Uh, regardless of what decision parents make, their kids are likely to be very safe when it comes to COVID. Well, that's right, Clay. And, you know, the child may be more likely to die in a car accident driving to the pediatrician's office to get the vaccine right now if the child is healthy. Now, for kids with a comorbid condition, that was probably nearly all of the 94 kids who died. So in those kids, it makes sense. In kids who had COVID in the past, no. makes There's no scientific justification. By the way, that may be 50 to 60% of kids out there right now. Dr. McCary, it's Buck. I, I want to know why you think it is that you don't have more MDs. I, I, Clay, one of the frustrations Clay and I have had for a long time is that there are docs that we know with like you with impeccable credentials you know as 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 real as it gets in the world of mds who are horrified by things like the sense that so many parents have the exaggerated sense of fear the exaggerated sense of risk for their children and yet we don't see doctors coming out saying this isn't dangerous for your kids in fact we had vivek murphy coming out saying the opposite just in the last 24 hours that this is a substantial risk for children. Where is the medical community on this? Is, is everyone just afraid the hospital system is going to come down on them? 
Well, there's a lot of group think right now, and cancel culture has moved into medicine. I talk to doctors around the country that say, thank you for speaking up. I can't do that at my hospital, or my academic leaders are putting a lot of pressure on me, or it's hard to study these issues. Why has no one, for example, tested people 19 months after they were infected in New York and looked at their immunity levels? The NIH is not doing it with their $42 billion. Why aren't academic doctors around the country doing that research? Because there's a lot of pressure on them. We're doing it, by the way. We're doing that particular study. But to answer your question, Buck, there's, a, there's an oligarchy. There's a small group of doctors making all the decisions on COVID policy. It's Collins and Fauci. And they dismiss people that uh, raise just simply ask questions in the spirit of scientific methodology. There is no the science. Science is an evolving process. So when you're talking to your pediatrician about child vaccines, ask them, What's the incidence of myocarditis after the second dose? And has anyone died from myocarditis? In my own conversations with a lot of doctors, they haven't even read the studies. What is, can you tell us, by the way, because those numbers are, what is the risk? Do we have any sense of myocarditis to children? I just saw another, another case the last 24 hours. Otherwise, young, healthy woman got the shot. Rare complications. She's dead. So this does happen. That's right. So this is good for people to know. In young males, even under age 30, if you go that far up, um, the rate of myocarditis, heart inflammation from the vaccine is one in 7,000. Now, that's high in my book. Now, the New England Journal of Medicine published the Israeli experience where they found 136 of these myocarditis cases. Two of them were seriously sick in the ICU and had heart biopsies. That's not fun. And one of them died. So the idea that, oh, this is totally safe, it's better to be honest with people, and you probably get more reception that way. Dr. Marty McCary, he is at Johns Hopkins. I want to circle back on one of the comments you made about the number of kids that likely have natural immunity, that is, they've already had COVID. You said you think it's probably somewhere around 50 or 60 percent. We don't know because our CDC has done such a poor job of collecting all this data. But let's presume it's half. Let's presume that half the kids between the ages of 5 and 11 have already had COVID. Would you encourage parents to get antibody tests for their kids to see if they had had COVID, first of all? And secondly, if the kids have had COVID, what has the data shown us about their risk going forward for COVID and whether it makes any sense for them then to get vaccinated? So first of all, on the ground, when I talk to doctors, we don't see people get reinfected and get severely ill or die. It just doesn't happen. Now, people say, oh, it happens. It's like Bigfoot. People say they've seen a case. Show me the evidence. We just do not see reinfections cause severe illness. That's the observational data. Now, the hard data shows that the reinfection rate's less than 1%. And in the Pfizer study of kids, the study of 1,500 kids that everybody is so giddy about, it showed, and I'm going to read it to you, one line in the 70-page Pfizer report said no cases of COVID-19 were observed in participants with prior infection. So you got nothing to worry about right now. Now, things could change in the future, but right now the data is on your side. Natural immunity works. Don't expect the pharma industry to talk enthusiastically about natural immunity, by the way. Yeah, and that's that leads into the other part of the question I had for you, which is I went and got antibody tested. I know that I have had COVID. I've recovered from it. I've got natural immunity. I haven't yet gotten my own children antibody tested. 
Would you suggest that it makes sense if you believe your kids may well have had COVID to see if they have COVID antibodies as you assess your decision making as it pertains to the, va- the vaccine? Yeah, if they, first of all, if they've had any positive test confirmed, you wouldn't need it. If That's not right. and you want to know, sure, yeah, go ahead and get the antibody test. Or some may choose to do one dose of the vaccine, and that's reasonable. The second dose is where people get into problems. And that's why I think it's very reasonable to say, you know, I might just want to do one dose. And these are the creative strategies that are good, but you're not hearing about. Dr. McCary, uh, I, I just need to get your, your take on the um, comment that was made just last week by Rochelle Walensky, the head of the CDC, when she put out some public statement that masks are 80 more, more than 80 percent effective in preventing the spread of the virus. I mean, this is just embarrassing at this point. Like, and, and when do people just say this has gotten too crazy? <laughs> I'm there for, for, I'm for I, for one, think that the stuff coming out of the CDC is so unreliable. I wonder if we do better if we did not have a CDC yes. right now adjudicating on every aspect of American life. I don't want to wear a NASA astronaut spacesuit every day. I wear a surgical mask at work at the hospital. I want to live my life. And I think there's this sense of we have to stomp out every virus replication particle if it means taking three showers a day in alcohol and demonizing Aaron Rodgers. By the way, these athletes are the lowest risk people on planet Earth. Tell me if you ever hear of a professional athlete in any sport in any country who's ever died of COVID. Never happened. And yet we put him under the frying pan. It's crazy. What did you think about Aaron Rodgers' comments as a doctor? Yeah, I think he, look, he has a, I think it was reasonable. I think he has a right to not get vaccinated. There's risks of myocarditis that especially affects young males and athletes. And I think he can do whatever he wants. He's not, at, we're not putting anyone else at risk. That study was done in our big journal, JAMA. Out of all the SEC games, they identified zero cases of transmission, you know, with regular activity. And, and, and yet Dr. Everyone, Fauci you know, said that it would be a feast for COVID over the summer. I mean, this guy is so reliably wrong over the last 40 years on major health issues. It's amazing to me, Dr. McCara, anybody even listens to him. Before we let you go, Clay and I are going back and forth here on the numbers. It's looked like there's looks like there's a bit of an increase here in COVID. You got this study that came out that showed that uh, vaccine efficacy when it comes to preventing at least infection drops off dramatically to with a j&j it drops off almost to nothing like 13 percent or something like that what do you see happening this winter we're going to have a small bump in the viral season in the north but it's going to be mostly cases if you've got immunity of any kind you got nothing to worry about we're not we're no one's worried about mild cases or asymptomatic positive test results remember the pcr test is so good it'll detect one dead virus particle in your nose people at risk over 65 i'd say get a booster because we shouldn't have been given doses three and four weeks apart we still shouldn't be doing that they really function as one primer dose and two may be the magic number for at-risk adults who have not already had covid dr mccary really appreciate it people should go check out should you vaccinate your five-year-old in the wall street journal by dr nicole sapphire and marty mccary doc thanks so much for being with us thanks guys If we've learned anything, Buck, since 2020, it's that there's nothing quite as important as a powerful immune system. 20 years ago, Dr. Dennis Black of Texas invented Texas Superfood. It is the original superfood. 
55 vine-ripened fruits and vegetables, plus probiotic and digestive enzymes. You can build your body's defense from the inside out. We learn from Dr. Black, your immune system's job is to detect, deflect, and destroy bacteria you come in contact with. And Texas Superfood boosts your immune system better than anything on the market. Your grandma, she told you to eat your fruits and veggies, but with busy schedules and fast food, most people don't. That's why you need Texas Superfood. Buck, how do people get it? Look, if you can't, won't, or don't eat all your fruits and veggies every day, you need Texas Superfood. It was made for you. Start boosting your immune system for under $2 a day. Go to TexasSuperfood.com slash buck or call 855-TEXAS-55. That's TexasSuperfood.com slash buck or call 855-TEXAS-55. Become an EIB VIP at ClayandBuck.com. VIPs can email Clay and Buck through the exclusive VIP email address. Plus, watch exclusive videos for members only, access to the stack of stuff, commercial-free podcasts, and much more. Become an EIB 24-7 VIP today at ClayandBuck.com. Welcome back to the Clay and Buck Show. We want to get to some of your calls here in a minute. We've got people that are obviously fired up about the Rittenhouse trial and the testimony that Kyle Rittenhouse was giving today. I want to, want to bring your voices into this conversation in a moment. just want to say, though, you know, I often tell you fi- uh, that Fauci has been reliably wrong for 40 years uh, uh, on big questions, on important health questions. I'm not just saying that. We, we got the receipts, as they say. We got the proof of it. Here's Fauci in 1983 talking about the risk of living in the same household as somebody with HIV. We're seeing virtually as the months go by other groups that can be involved and and seeing it in children is really quite disturbing. When you say other close contact, give me some examples. Well, for example, if, if the close contact of a child is a household contact, perhaps there will be a certain number of cases of individual who are just living with and in close contact with someone with AIDS or at risk of AIDS who does not necessarily have to have uh, intimate sexual contact or share a needle, but just the ordinary close contact that one sees in normal interpersonal relationships. Think about this, Clay. Here's a guy who's telling people which we know is, by the way, 100% not the case, absolutely false. Think of all the fear, all the terror, all the marginalization for those who had HIV that they would suffer as a result of this top doctor telling everybody, yeah, just living in a house with somebody could have gotten you AIDS. Well, I think it speaks to Fauci's ability to immediately embrace worst-case scenarios yes, and then be very comfortable spreading those worst-case scenarios such that panic ensues. And this is why I keep talking, Buck, about how do you land the plane? How do you land the plane when so many parents are convinced that their kids are in mortal peril from COVID? How do you get people to get back to normal life when Dr. Fauci has convinced them that they're going to die of COVID? And it's amazing. It probably shouldn't surprise anybody. But this is a clear pattern in Dr. Fauci's medical career that he takes the most fearful, the scariest potential outcome and spreads it around the United States using his expertise as a doctor as justification for his perspective. I think it's important in the conversation we just had with Dr. Marty McCary. Why is Dr. Marty McCary reasonable, rational, thoughtful, looking at data, presenting it in an intelligent manner, 
not receiving anywhere near the same amount of attention as Dr. Fauci. Imagine how much different the nation's response to COVID would have been if instead of Fauci at the head of the NIH, we had had Dr. Marty McCary or many yeah. other doctors out there leading our response, everything would be different. It's just nice to hear from another esteemed MD who's not in his words, I'll use my words, will tell us the truth, which is that Fauci is an evil little tyrant smurf. Perry in Texas. What's going on, Perry? Well, I'm watching the trial uh, in my office. I'm a 30-plus year attorney prosecutor for over 25 years the actions of the da in this trial just today alone are abhorrent and he should be sanctioned by the state bar and even be suspended for it apparently people on the street who watch law and order know more about the fifth amendment right against self-incrimination than this guy who claims he's a prosecutor i'm wondering if it's not time for us to start asking out loud how many of these people like this prosecutor who is obviously pressing a case that he has no case to actually press on many of these counts uh, how many of them have already been promised campaign funds from soros uh, based and backed organizations to continue with the charade. Do you think as a prosecutor for 25 years, I'm sorry to cut you off, but when you hear questioning like that, which we played and the judge's reaction to questions like that, do you feel as if the prosecutor might be trying to get a mistrial because he knows things are going poorly for his side? That may be one of his uh, motivations for doing it, but I will tell you, I was sitting at my computer watching this uh, I was getting close to my lunch hour so I was taking a break and when he asked that question I literally stood up and yelled at the screen unbelievable I mean that is basic first day of law school type of stuff yeah couldn't he be sanctioned if the judge believed that that's what he's trying to do isn't that also a big no-no to try to engineer a mistrial the ultimate sanction there would be exactly as the defense attorney said, and that is a dismissal with prejudice, meaning that his attempt to get the mistrial actually backfired and he got a mistrial, but he also got the inability to proceed with another prosecution. Hey, Perry, we really appreciate the expertise. Thanks for joining us here and sharing your thoughts. Kurt in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. What's up, Kurt? Retired law enforcement officer. That's right. Greetings from Packerland, guys. Hey, listen, uh, uh, kind of piggyback on that, uh, that attorney. This uh, DA is very unethical. And uh, if, if he was worth his ounce in, in gold, or worth his weight in gold, he'd be looking at this. as This is not first-degree intentional homicide. It was self-defense. Second point is is that, is that um, <clears throat> this is politically motivated because they're charging Kyle Rittenhouse with, with weapons charges, and Rosenbaum, the, the person that came after him, also violated weapons charges. He has an expired carrying conceal permit. And then the third point I would like to make is, is this. We already have um, examples of jury intimidation going on. They were filming the jury arriving at the trial to try to intimidate them. Hey, Kurt, thank you for sharing your law enforcement officer perspective on this. We appreciate it. Jury intimidation, another major consideration here. It's why I brought up some of the politics around this trial and how that's influencing possibly the outcome here. But we'll come back with more updates on the Rittenhouse trial, more on the fight against COVID madness and the crappy Biden economy. Clay and I are going to bust it all down for you. 
You're listening to Clay Travis and Buck Sexton on the EIB Network. Armstrong, he's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's Reality Podcast. This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture. And a little bit of Rappaport's reality, the reality of us. We're figuring out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, it it would have been been juicy. The podcast would have taken a, a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny. The warmth of Fredo and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carvin and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back in. Clay Travis, Buck Sexton Show. Appreciate all of you hanging out with us. We are watching, like many of you listening, like many of you are to exactly what is going on. So, in this Kyle Rittenhouse case, the Rittenhouse defense has argued, and there is a discussion going on right now, about whether or not there is going to be a mistrial. This is me putting my lawyer hat on, Buck. You can quiz me on this a little bit if you want. There are different types of mistrials. The Rittenhouse team of attorneys... And I'm, I am analyzing without obviously having talked to the Rittenhouse team. I'm trying to analyze this in real time as it's going on. Does not want a mistrial in the context of we're going to go do this all over again. That's oftentimes what happens in the case of a mistrial. Uh, something occurs that is inappropriate and improper within the trial itself, which necessitates a new trial all over again. That's not what they want. They want a mistrial with prejudice, 
which means these charges can never be brought against Kyle Rittenhouse again, which is a big step up. Effectively, it is arguing that the prosecution's behavior is so egregious and intentional that it they should not benefit from a mistrial because otherwise, just kind of putting it in context, you have a let's say you have a bad week. You're a you're a lawyer. Everybody can have a bad week at uh, at, at their job, and you just get whipped by the opposing side. What we don't want to happen then in a court proceeding is for someone to intentionally create a mistrial and benefit from right. their intentional. This error. is like in tennis. If you call a redo when someone aces you. No, no, it's an ace. It's not a redo just because you got aced, and that's that's what they try to avoid. My understanding, Clay, is that even if they did have a dismissal with prejudice, uh, a mistrial with prejudice, rather, um, that the state could still appeal it, though, right? 100%. So you could. So so even if you get the best possible outcome for the defense here, you could still have a situation where then the higher court steps in and says, actually, you can try this again, but and then would, you'd be back at square one with a new trial if the state wanted to bring the case. That, that is true. And again, I want to make it clear. I'm licensed in the, the state of Tennessee. I am licensed in the U.S. Virgin Islands. Those are the two places that I am licensed. So every state law can be different as it pertains, although there's often a model code particularly in criminal courts that are somewhat yeah. similar. I want to make it clear, I'm not an expert in Wisconsin criminal procedure, right? But if the trial court judge determines that a mistrial with prejudice should be granted, there is a great deal of discretion given to the trial court judge, even on appeal, it would have to be a substantial legal error by, right. the, by the it, trial court judge to overturn would, it. It would be a high burden that they would right. have to... It's That's interesting, right. too, because Wisconsin as a state is and i know we, we all can talk like big boys and girls here we all know that the justice system there are conservatives and leftists in the justice system and you know the judges you're going to get the prosecutors you're going to get some are very conservative some are going to be very liberal so you'd be you'd be rolling the dice it's not like you'd be having this in a very red state or a very blue state uh, depending on what judges you'd get who would look at this after the fact but i mean they're they're really going deep right now into the possibility here of this mistrial, which just goes to show you, I mean, if nothing else, Claire, I think I think it's clear prosecution is messing this thing up, and it's because Kyle Rittenhouse isn't guilty. <laughs> That's what's happened. <laughs> well, the other thing I would add is that it's highly unlikely that the judge is going to make a ruling from the bench. He would probably ask for briefings. He would probably want that to be analyzed, and my guess it would be, like, later tonight, he might ask for briefings. Just FYI. Tomorrow is Veterans Day. Tunnel the to Towers is doing something remarkable. Another example of them fulfilling their promise to all of us that they will never forget 9-11. Veterans Day is going to lead to a special ceremony to honor the men and women who lost their lives in the war on terror. Each individual is going to be remembered by their name being called out and spoken of in a new tradition by Tunnel the to Towers. Like they have on 9-11, Tunnel the to Towers recognizing our selfless soldiers who made the ultimate sacrifice. Between Thanksgiving and New Year's Eve, they're going to give one family after another a mortgage-free home. Families of soldiers and first responders, you can support them as well with the Tunnel to Towers Foundation. You need to donate $11 a month at T2T.org. That's T2T.org. <laughs> 
More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. 